as ministers, a lot of times we're prone to go according, you know, you go home, you have that familiar route. You don't, you just go that way. Your car could drive itself. Well, sometimes in ministry and when we're ministers, we have a way of preaching, but then all of a sudden God says, no, we're going to do this, but I needed this inside of you. And it's amazing as I was, as I was preparing this message, I'm like, God, where are we going? And then all of a sudden you sang that song and I'm like, and he had told me what song it was. I didn't, it just didn't, true evangelists don't know what they're singing. They just make up their own words or pray in tongues. I'm just going to say that out loud. But I was just sitting there and I'm like, I get it. I get what you're doing this week. I get where we're going this week. Not, I have it all figured out, but God, I, I, I get it. We talked about Moses last night. We talked about Abraham. And then, you know, we, we talked about the, 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 the 17. And it all has to do with God's planning. And I was sitting there this afternoon. And Pastor Tony was like, hey, listen. He's like, hey, do you have your, your notes? Um, because I'm that, that, that really ignorant evangelist doesn't put anything up on screen. I, I just expect every church goer to memorize the entire Bible. Um, but I was like, I'm, I'm working on it right now. But I, I, what came to pass is God's got this. Did you know that God's got this? I don't know what you're facing right now. I know a lot of us are facing a lot of questions and God's got this. He's, he's worked it out already. But now what he's trying to do is work it out in us. That's what's so crazy. God's already worked it out. He's already been at the start and the finish, but he's trying to work it out in us so that we can be a partner in what he's doing. That's what God loves. It's about relationship. Can I tell you, God's not looking for a bunch of robots. He's not looking for a bunch of slaves or even, per se, servants that are going to just serve him. He's looking for sons and daughters that will be engaged in relationship with him. That's why he sent his son, right? That's why he didn't send an angel to pay a price. He sent his son. Why? Because a son for a son, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a, a child for a child. And he's like, I want relationship because I want a partner. I want them to have some ownership in the midst of all that I'm about to do. And I just really believe that God's about to do some big things. He's about to blow minds. He's about to, he's, I'm talking about educated people are about to have their mouths hit the ground because of what God's doing. Joshua chapter one, Joshua chapter one, verses one through 11. We read about Moses, right? And what did Moses do? God used Moses to bring 2.2 or 2.5 million people out of captivity, right? And please hear me. When I was preaching last night, man, Moses is as close to the greatest man of God that was ever, has ever lived. But Moses still had heirs, Right? Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, it says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun. That's a prophetic word for somebody right there. And I'm not talking about the N 
U-N. I'm talking about the N-O-N-E. Some of you don't feel like that you've come from much. You're the son or the daughter of none. But God's about to show you some purpose and some destiny. It says, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready. It's one thing. I don't, I guess, I, I don't, I, I, when I study the scriptures, I'm like that. I, when I grow up, I want to be a criminal, investi- a criminal a crime scene investigator. You know what I'm talking about? I just, so I study the scriptures just like that. I always try to find like the hidden parts, like what's being said without it being said, right? So I always try to find like, what's it really saying? So like example, okay? Like I love praying the scripture. When you pray the scripture, you couldn't, you can't pray more accurately than when you pray scripture. Well, I was praying one particular day and I came to the book of Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 1. I don't know about you, it's hard to pray Chronicles, let alone read it. I mean, how are you going to pray all these people's names, right? And I came to it, and, and I was just like praying. I'm like, okay, God, I don't even know how to tie prayer into this, but Adam, Seth, Enoch, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. Like, okay, go. Cool. And all of a sudden, something began to stir in my spirit. I love names, right? Names, back in the Old Testament, names were given as a definition of what people would become. Parents chose their children's names, literally choosing their legacy, their purpose, their character, right? So names weren't just like, called oh, this is my uncle's names. So we're going to pass it down. It was names meant something. So I was in prayer and the Lord spoke to me. He whispered into my heart. He says, it's the purpose behind the person. It's the man, the meaning behind the man. And I was like, what? And the Lord just spoke to me. He said, I want you to look up what each one of their names mean. So I looked up Adam. Adam means man. Seth means appointed. I looked up a person by the name of Enoch because Enoch's one of the people I want to talk to when I get to heaven. He walked with God and all of a sudden God took him. What happens when you walk so close to God that you're closer to his house than your house and he just takes you home with him, right? That's the kind of relationship I want to have. And so I I found that Enoch means turning, shifting, right? And I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool. But what's really cool is you have Enoch that walked with God and was no more. Then he has a Methuselah. So you have a Enoch that's a turning, a shifting, a discipling generation, that leads by example, not by just words. And then he has a son by the name of Methuselah. And Methuselah has a really cool name. His name means a man into a weapon. So when you have a father that walks with God, you'll have a generation or a son that is an en- a weapon to the enemy, against the enemy. That's pretty cool, right? Well, I started studying this and all of a sudden the Lord spoke to me. He said, I want you to transpose what their meaning is for their name. It makes up a complete sentence. And I was like, well, that seems pretty cool. And so if you just transpose, basically, if you take Adam and you don't put Adam, but you take the meaning of his name, meaning man, so you put man and then Seth means appointed. It literally makes an entire sentence that sums up from Genesis to Revelations of why Jesus came and died. It's pretty cool. You ready for it? So it's Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared. I have to close my eyes because I can actually picture the words. So that's the only way I memorize. 
But Adam, Seth, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. If you take their names and just put the meanings, it means man appointed mortal sorrow, but a blessed God came down, turning a man into a weapon through despairing comfort. That's pretty cool, right? If I had Herod stand up. (laughs) why, Why am I saying this? God's got a plan. And even in the midst of death, even in the midst of when we can't see anything or feel anything and we're afraid and we're alone and we're discouraged and we're defeated. This was right after a basically a, 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 a service, a celebration of life. They're mourning. Their leader has gone. They don't know what they're supposed to do. Moses led us, right? And God is saying, listen, Moses, he's speaking to Joshua, the man that is that, that walked closest to Moses. And he's telling Joshua, he says, listen, my servant's dead. I recognize that you're, you're, you're feeling pain. I recognize that you're in loss. I recognize you're in mourning. But you and the people, get ready. I don't know if you, like, when I was a kid and my parents were like, hey, get ready, we're going somewhere. I used to be, like, so excited. Like, we might be going to McDonald's. <laughs> we might be going... somewhere and I was just excited when they said get ready can you imagine it when God says get ready like how do you get ready when it's God like what do I take what 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 do I need to do what what's God about to do he said get ready God's got something up his sleeve God's got something planned and prepared God's about to do something but he's not going to leave us out he's going to take us with him in the midst of this and he says listen I know you're hurting but just get ready because I'm about to do something so just go and prepare yourself because it's about to happen excitement now began to flood where there was discouragement where there was loss, where there was pain, now it's being overcome with joy and excitement like God's about to do. The talk of the camp went from, can you believe Moses is dead? To, wait, God's doing something. God's about to do something. Hey, you ready for this? Man, I wonder what he's doing. I don't know what he's doing, but man, God's about to do something. And every time God does something, it's pretty stinking incredible. The last time God done, did something, man, it rained. It rained bread. When, last time God did something, he brought in quail. Last time God did something, he, he caused the rock to... <laughs> Become Aquafina. God does some cool stuff. You remember when he parted that water? That was really cool. And then he drowned the Pharaoh. That was even, or the, the, the Egyptians, that was even cooler. God's about to do something. And when God does something, it's always big. He says, get ready. Get ready to cross the Jordan. Oh, my goodness. The Jordan represents the perimeter or the barrier that was stopping them from what God had promised. Every time they walked up to the Jordan, they they could see the promised land, but they were in the promised land. And all of a sudden, God says, listen, you're about to cross over into it. Because, now this is the crazy thing is, now watch this. 
the last thing that was stopping them from stepping into all that God had planned was Moses. Even though Moses was an incredible leader, even though Moses was the man that led them out, he was the last amongst the generation except for two other men and their families, Joshua and Caleb and their families, that everyone else had passed away except for the children and the grandchildren of that generation. Remember what we talked about last night? The 10 spies came back and said, we can't do this. So they literally all passed away in the, in the wilderness. Moses was the last of them. And it wasn't that Moses didn't believe, but something had to disappear. Something had to go away. Something had to die in order for them to receive. And all of a sudden, Moses passes and God says to Joshua, get ready. It's time. It's time to cross the Jordan into the land I am about to, there's that word again, give to them. To the Israelites, I will give. Oh, oh, watch this now. Watch this because this is going somewhere tonight, church. I will give you every place that you set your foot. I will give you every place that you set your foot. Go on, it says, as I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. No one, watch this, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Those great big giants that, that, were, that were intimidating to you, that made you feel like grasshoppers, guess what? They're not gonna be able to stand against you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to their inheritance, to the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all my law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Then it goes on, it says, keep the book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night so that I will be, that, that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? I want you to look at those words. He didn't say, as I have instructed you. He didn't say, as I have recommended. He said, as I have commanded. It is a commandment of God to be strong and be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go to the camp, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, we will, you will cross through the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Father, I ask that you would lend me your voice for the next few moments. God, these people do not need my opinion. They definitely don't need my advice. But what they need is a word from you. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking for you to help me speak this out with clarity, with urgency, but with preciseness, I pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. See, Joshua is in, an, an, and I apologize right off the bat, I'm gonna be bound to notes because this is straight up fresh. Joshua is in a very unenvious position. 
Can you imagine having to take or to fill the shoes of Moses? Taking the place of a man who could speak to God through a burning bush. Can you imagine being the predecessor of a man who performed all the miracles in Egypt? Who divided the Red Sea? Who stood on the mountain of God while talking to him? Who literally glowed with the glory of God when he came down? A a God chosen leader who helped over two million people step out of captivity and lead them into the desert and lead them through the desert. A man that could bring water out of a rock when the people died from thirst. But most importantly, Moses was known as a friend of God. Not only that, but Joshua now finds himself the leader of a group of people known for murmuring, complaining, and backsliding. And wishing and wanting to go back to where they came from. God now looks at Joshua and says, you are the man. There is yet things to accomplish. Moses had led the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage. And through many tough situations. But now there is this promised land yet still to be claimed. And the inhabitants of the land still must be destroyed. The promise still needs to be received to make these people into the mighty nation that God promised. But how? Joshua is not Moses. They are completely two different types of people with two completely different styles of leadership. How is Joshua going to do what Moses did? And how is Joshua going to accomplish what Moses could not? All of these questions were not only going through the mind of Joshua, but also through the minds of every other person in the community. Can you imagine? I don't know if you've ever had that situation where you maybe take over a leadership position. But I, I'm going to be honest, I, I'm, I'm gone all the time, and so I have three beautiful children. And when they were young, uh, I would come home, and, and mom would be gone, and I'd say, hey, listen, we're going to do this. And they were like, no, we're not. And I'd start making something like, that's not how mom made it. I'm like, let's make your bed. But mom usually does that. I'm like, but dad's home. And you're going to do it. But I like the way that mom does it. Well, I like the way you do it. I don't want to do it. And the problem with kids having a cell phone, they call your, their mom. And mom, dad's cooking again. <laughs> My son did it to me to this day. He called when he was in the office. I said, preacher, what you want? And he's like, hey, mom told me to ask you if I could go here. And I said, yeah, go. And all of a sudden I got a text saying, I told him no. And I instantly wrote him. I said, bro, we're both about to die. (laughs) You said mom said ask. And he said she did. She told me no, but then she said, just ask your dad. And I said, I wasn't flowing in the prophetic, son. (laughs) I didn't know. So I instantly, now I'm in trouble all the way from Pennsylvania to Colorado going, baby girl, I didn't know. I'm sorry. I'm acting like I'm the kid (laughs) because that's not the way she does it. And I told him she's the boss until I get home. And he said, then come home, RN, right now. (laughs) (laughs) Do you imagine how many times 
Moses would say something and the children of Israel would be like, but that's not how Moses did it. But you're not Moses. And you almost have to go, okay, I'm not Moses, but I am who God picked. And in order to say that statement, you have to know that statement. You have to know. You have to answer it for yourself. I'm who God has asked to do this. And I may not be who everybody else picked. I may not be what the, the best option, but I am who God asked me to be. And I'm doing what God's asking me to do. And you can either like it or you don't have to like it, but we're still going to do it. And Moses is gone. But Joshua has a job to do. How is he going to, uh, to, uh, to accomplish this supernatural feat? See, the answer is that he needs and has the same thing as, dis, as did Moses. Isn't that crazy? He contains the very thing that Moses contained. Moses might have left, but God did not. The same power to do the same things that Mo Moses did not part the sea. God, through Moses, parted the sea. Moses did not inflict Egypt with, with those, those different plagues. God did it. Moses didn't cause, he didn't turn on the sprinkling system of a rock. God allowed the impossible to happen. He just used a servant that was willing to be obedient to him. And God was looking for another servant that would simply surrender to God's ideas and say, God, whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, I'll just listen. I will just obey. See. The same power to do the same things Moses did and to lead as he did was now upon Joshua. He has been ordained of God to do this and God will give him what he needs to fulfill this calling. In this chapter, God instructs Joshua three times. Listen to this. He tells him three times, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Such easy instructions, but how are we to be strong and courageous? I'll never forget, I was, I was running when we first started ministry. I was doing a young adult uh, ministry and, and we were running about 150 young adults and God gave me a hard word to preach. I'm just gonna be honest, church. There is nothing worse than preaching a very corrective word and God tells you to do it because guess who gets blamed? Guess who's the one that's hated? Guess who everybody's mad at? Guess who leaves the church and blames you? You could say it's God and they're like, no, it was you. You opened your mouth. You talked. I heard your voice. And I don't like you. And I'm taking my tithe with me. And six other couples. I remember this word. And here what the, was the word. In this young adult ministry, there was a lot of sexual immorality going on. And I found out about it. And I took it to the Lord in prayer. And God says, have you ever preached on it? Have you ever told them that there is a consequence to their decisions? That these, this is sin? This is not pleasing before me? I'm like, nope. And he's like, you're about to. And I'm like, I may bring in a guest speaker, God. <laughs> and God spoke to me. I was nervous. I'm going to be honest. I was nervous because a lot of these, because I was, I mean, six months old in the ministry. I was just about 
about a year old in serving Jesus. A lot of these were my friends. A lot of these were kids that I grew up with that I used to sell drugs to. And now all of a sudden I'm going to get in their face and say, you can't do this no more according to the Bible. And I was just like, God, come on. And I'm driving and my little girl, Jaden, is in the back seat. She, and I don't, I don't remember quite how old she was. Maybe she's like two and a half, maybe three. And we're driving and all of a sudden, she, our service was after Wednesday night service and we were in a coffee shop. And uh, out of the back seat, my little girl, Jaden, goes, Josh 1-9. I'm like, what? She goes, Josh 1-9, daddy. I'm like, Josh 1-9. Do not be afraid for the Lord thy God is with you. I'm like, Joshua 1-9? That's in my notes. <laughs> I'm not preaching it. I'm just reminding myself. I literally put it in my notes. She said, Daddy, do not be afraid for the Lord thy God is with you. And a two and a half out of the mouth of babes, God began to stir me up. And I said, wait a second. If she can hear God and just be obedient, she don't even know really what she's saying. God, how can I not be obedient? Because I might just be used by you to help somebody get set free. I have an obligation. See, it's the same way God tells Joshua. He says three times, be strong. Be courageous. You know what we need in this world? We need some men and some women of God that are not falling all over the place. If we don't stand for something, we fall for everything and we don't even know what, what, what we believe in anymore. We need some men of strength in purity and integrity and in character. We need some women of God that can stand even though everybody else falls. I'm looking for maybe a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That, can I tell you that three young boys did didn't bow when they saw their parents bow. Three teenagers didn't bow when they saw their grandparents. You can't find it in scripture. Oh, the only three people that did not bow were, Josh, were, were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everybody else bowed. How do you not bow when everybody's telling you get down and you're going, wait a second, I can't get down because I know what I believe and this is against everything that I believe. And it takes some guts, it takes some backbone, it takes some courage, and it takes some strength. How are you going to believe for the promises of God if you can't even believe for the word of God? He said, be strong and courageous. See, it's easy sometimes to seem bold and pretend to be brave, but Joshua needed was what he needed was true bravery and true courage. See, God only, not only directs Joshua to be strong and courageous, but he explains to him how to do so, how, how to live with this boldness. So tonight, I just want to give you some things straight out of scripture on how to be strong and be courageous and not just believe for the promises, but start receiving the promises. See, to live the kind of life that God wants us to live in this society that we live in, we need, to, we need courage the way that Joshua did. And sometimes it's hard to be strong and courageous. But three times God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. But he gives him five keys in order to accomplish these plans. The first key on how to be strong and courageous and, and really see those promises of God come to pass in your life is this. The first one is you have to stand on the promises. 
You have to stand on the promises. He says, get ready in verse three to go into the land that I am about to give to them. Just because things does not, just because things change does not mean the promises change as well. Through God's servant, Moses is deceased. God's plans and promises are still the same. That is why it's so important to know what God has promised. People will change. Situations will change. But God will not remember that the promises of God for your life are not relying upon what other people do. They are relying upon him and for what he does. See, the God of Moses is also the God of Joshua and he makes his promises. He keeps his promises. And if Joshua is to be strong and courageous, he must stand upon the promises of the word of God. And if we are to accomplish what God calls us to and instructs us to, we also too must stand on the promises of God. I told you, I, I've told, I could tell you stories. Oh my goodness, I could tell you some stories. I'll never forget. I've not, I missed it a lot. I've missed it a lot. I was flying to Singapore. I'm sitting in, in the seat. And God, I mean, it's like quiet. I don't know if you've ever flown overseas, but they turn off the lights. Everybody's kind of quiet. And, and the Lord speaks to me and he says, get up kneel in the aisle and begin to cry out to me. And I'm like, what? He's like, stand up right now, get on your knees and audibly begin to cry out to me. And I'm like, I don't think you can do that, God. Like, I think that's illegal. <laughs> I don't think you can do that. It's like FAA rule or something. That's like terrorism. I don't think I could do it, God. He's like, stand up right now. Like urgency. He's like, stand up right now. Hurry, hurry now, now, stand up. And I'm like, but God, and all of a sudden the guy right in front across the aisle, one row up, stands up and he gets into the overhead and he pulls out this rug and he puts it down in the middle of the aisle and he's a Muslim and he begins to cry out. And the Lord spoke to me and he says, they're not even serving a real God, yet they're more faithful to obey it. And I got down right next to him and he said, it's too. I just went, wait a second, God. And he says, I need you to move when I say move. I need you to, delayed obedience is still truly disobedience. I'm like, but God. So I just got to this crazy point that if God says to do something, do it. So I'm flying in United from Chicago, on United from Chicago to Denver. The Lord speaks to me. He says, where do you want to go in the world? I'm like, what? I, never, I had never preached overseas. He says, where do you want to go? I said, I don't know. And I looked in the map in front of me, like in the seat. And I started writing down this list. And all of a sudden I got to about number three and the Lord spoke to me and, he's, and, and I just like felt almost like, wait a second. Ah, this hasn't never been about me, God. Like back that up. Can I get a new Scranton? Because this is, I filled in the wrong answers. And I said, God, where do you want me to go? I've always said, God, where I will go anywhere you tell me to go. And all of a sudden, he gave me a list of 10 things. And he said, now I want you to stand on that, on that magazine with that, that map. I want you to stand and begin to pray. I'm like, again? Like, this was before, but he had asked me to do some things. And so I'm like, okay. I'm like, okay, here we go. 
And I stood on this map and I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. Now, I told you a story. Now, I've got to go back a little bit. This was right before I went to Singapore because the first place that I wrote down that I was standing on on the map was Singapore. Now, go forward. God's answering the promise. I'm on a plane going to Singapore. God says, stand up and pray. And I'm like, but God, I really can't do this. I've already done it before. Isn't it crazy that we act like we can't do things that we should or maybe have already done? And I'm sitting there going, what in the world? I've stood on bills. I don't know if the cruise has ever done this, but as an evangelist, I've stood on bills. Why? Because the Bible says, whatever your hands touch, that it will be blessed, but everything that your feet tread upon, that he will give you. I'm like, God, you're going to give us these bills right now. You're going to give us the money. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I bless them, God. I bless them. I have. I, you ain't lying. I, I went to, this is no lie. I needed a vehicle. I went to the Ford dealership. I grabbed one of the brochures and I'd take it home and I'd stand on it. Guess what I'm driving? And I got my truck for about 60% of what it was worth. Because when you stand on the promises of God, God does his part. What am I talking about? You got to stand on the promises The God of Moses is also the God of Joshua. God calls us and instructs us to do it, but we must be willing to stand on his promises. The problem with most Christians is they are sitting on the premises of God instead of standing on the promises of God. Sometimes you need to remind yourself of the promises and remember the fruit. Guess who was in that promised land? Joshua. He was one of the 12. He might have been one of the guys carrying the grapes. But he was there and he's carrying these grapes. He had to remember the promise. What promises have God given you? You got to remind yourself sometimes. Sometimes you got to write them on a mirror. Sometimes you got to write them on your arm. Sometimes you got to write them in front of you. You sometimes you got to write them down. You got to remember them. Why? Because if we don't, if we don't remember them, we'll forget them. He had to remember the promises. He had to, he overheard conversations that Moses heard, uh, was having with God. He had to remember and he had to stand on them. The second thing is this. After you stand on your promises, you have to be willing to step into your purpose. I will give you where, everywhere that you're, you set your foot. I will give you everywhere that you set your foot. So if you stand, Set your foot on the promise. Is it not given to you according to the scriptures? So you stand on the promise, but then you step in to purpose. See, where we walk determines what we have and what we receive. And this word is for somebody right here. Where we walk determines what we have and what we will receive. I want you to listen to this for a moment. We want freedom, but we continue to walk in addiction. Let me say it again. We want freedom, but we walk. Wherever you place your foot, whatever you place your foot, wherever you place your foot, God will give it to you. We want freedom, but we never leave addiction. And so what is our feet on? Addiction. We want peace, but all we do is stand in anxiety and worry. And we walk in worry. And we walk in worry. And what would happen if we spent as much time thinking on the promises of God that we do on the, on the plans of the enemy? 
See, we want freedom, but we continue to walk in addiction. We want healing, but we continue to walk in sickness. We want joy, but we continue to walk in negativity. We want change, but we continue to walk in the familiar. We want to step into some new things but, and, and into some new places. But all we do is continue to walk where we've always walked. What would happen if we started walking into unfamiliar territory? Where are the spiritual Christopher Columbuses of the land? Where's the ones that say, hey, I know that there's something more out there. We just haven't, we haven't seen it yet. Where's the ones that are going to finish the map? Up to that point, there was just a cliff. The world falls off right here. Until somebody showed that there was not a cliff, but there, there was more out there. Who's the one that's going to come to the altar and say, wait a second. There's more than just 30 minutes of altar call. There's more than just a couple of songs of worship. There's more than just going to church and getting three, uh, three points and giving some money and three, singing three songs and answering the altar for three minutes. There's more to God than constantly saying, I'm sorry. There's more to God than just reading the book of Psalms. There's more to God than just constantly being so shallow in our lives that, that, that we finally begin to finish the map. There's more. You know, I can tell you there's more. I heard people, I, there was this crazy guy, this missionary, and maybe some of you have heard of him. If not, I, it's, he's, a, he's a nut. But he's a missionary in Mexico and he's seen over 300 people raised from the dead. I heard him talk about this, this guy by the name of David Hogan. I'm like, that's crazy. I want to see somebody dead raised. That'd be cool. It'd be awesome. God says, well, pray for the dead. You know how many funeral homes I've been kicked out of in my city? They don't like you calling people forth that are in a casket. Just saying, almost been arrested a couple times. I want to see the blind see. Have you ever prayed for a blind person? I can, I can give you a recorded document from a doctor, a death certificate, where a doctor recorded a man by the name of Dwayne, dead. And he lived three more years. And while we were praying, he was beginning to come forth and he was moving and he was brain dead in his heart. His heart, the only thing that was causing his heart to breathe was machines and beat was machines. And the only thing causing his lungs to breathe was machines. And they were going to unplug him. And I was there to be with the family because I was the only Assembly of God minister that was in town because I had to work and everybody else was at district council. And so I was the only one. So, wow, that makes me feel privileged, right? So I showed up about 16 minutes late. We walked in. The family's not there. Me and my bride, Shelly, are sitting there, and we're praying for this man by the name of Dwayne. And I'm just asking at first. I'm going to tell you, it was totally ghetto. It was a worthless prayer. And I was just like, God, would you just bless this man? And God, I hope he knew you. God, bring peace to the family. God, just pour out your spirit in this situation. And I turn around. I'm like, baby, you ready to go? And Shelly grabbed me by the arm and said, he just moved. And I'm like, baby girl, listen, it's oxygen being forced. No, 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 his arm moved. And I'm like, baby girl, he might like a little twitch or something. I don't know. And she said, he just moved. And all of a sudden I was like, baby, he's not moving. And his leg kicked. I'm like, he just moved. He, he moved. We're in ICU. N-I-S-U? Is that what it is? Neurological NCIO? I don't know. 
I'm a preacher, not a doctor. <laughs> that was straight up Star Trek right there. I almost broke into my Scottish accent. <laughs> you got to understand my brain sometimes. I'm so sorry. But I'm like, he just moved. Well, faith entered the building. I started praying. I'm like, God, in Jesus' name, Dwayne, come forth. And his legs are kicking. He's moving around. And I'm like, come on. I mean, the, the nurses are coming in saying, you can't do this. So I was casting out the spirit of nurse. And I'm like, get behind me, Satan. Jesus, come forth right now, Dwayne. I am screaming at the top of my lungs. And he is just moving. All of a sudden, God says, sing to him. I'm like, she knows. I'm not a singer. Like if I start singing, I'll wake the dead just for them to tell me to shut up. I'm trying to die here. And God says, sing to him. And I'm like, but God, I'm a preacher, not a worship leader. God, just let me preach to him a little something. And all of a sudden, my bride looks at me and she says, God just told us to sing to him. And I'm like, I know, but I don't know any songs. She goes, well, let's pray about it. She always has to be spiritual. She grabs my hands. No lie, you have to ask Shelly about this. She grabs my hands and she's like, God, would you just, just tell us what to sing? And instantly the Lord spoke to me because it's probably the only song I really know is Jesus Loves Me. And I said, I know what it is. And she goes, Amazing Grace. I said, no, Jesus loves me. She goes, well, let's do both. I'm like, I don't know both. <laughs> so we start singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. All of a sudden his head's moving. He is about to sit up and God says, now leave. And I'm like, but God, I want to, we're here. I want, and he says, if, if he wakes up and they come in, you'll receive the credit and I will share my glory with no one. Get out now. So we left. And I'm telling you, I'm bummed. I was seriously bummed. We're sitting out at a restaurant. We're on a date. Me and my bride, my bride, my mom's watching our kids. And all of a sudden, about 15 minutes, we're just sitting there. We're not even talking. We're just defeated. I'm going to be honest. We're defeated. And my phone rings, and I'm like, hello, it's my mom, and she's an intercessor, and she's just praying in tongues. Just, da, 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 da. I'm like, and it was, Dwayne was her best friend's uncle. And she's just, I'm like, mom, mom. And I'm thinking, the kids, something's wrong with the kids. And she's like, da, 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 da. And I'm like, mom. And she's like, he's awake, he's awake, he's awake, he's awake. And I'm like, what are you talking? We got up, we left, and then I had to come back in and realize we had sodas to pay for because I didn't want to go to hell from stealing after we just raised some person from the dead. So I, I go outside and we're just weeping. I mean, just weeping. We find out later he comes forth, no brain damage whatsoever. He, the doctor said he would be a vegetable, that he would be having to be fed intravenously. He would, he would never be able to talk. He, he sat up and his, his, his niece walked in and he said, hey, Sheila. And she about dropped, she dropped everything right there. Just That was on Tuesday. On Thursday, they took him out of ICU, ran all the tests. They put him in a regular room. Friday, they sent him home. He's sitting at home and he tells a story when he was 14 years old. Now, this is an older man. He is 14 years old 
he's telling the story about how that he was raised in church and a pastor had severely hurt his family and his dad ripped him out of church. He still remembers the service. His dad ripped him out of church and he says, in the, they gets them all in the truck and he says, God is a lie. And if I ever catch you back in church again, you are no longer my family. So he just kind of gave up on it. Well, in the midst of all this, he says, when I was laying in the hospital bed, I could hear somebody calling my name. And I kept on hearing the name Jesus. And I woke up and I've been doing a lot of thinking and I realized that my life needs to be given back to Jesus. So I've already given him my life. But I want my entire family. God is real. I've never felt so much love in my entire life. And I want my entire family to give their lives to Jesus today. And he looked at his niece, Sheila, and he says, Sheila, do you, do you play the piano? And she says, yeah. She said, he says, would you sing two of my favorite songs when I was a kid? He said, would you sing Jesus Loves Me in Amazing Grace? That's walking in purpose. It had nothing to do with Jamie Montero. It had nothing to do with Michelle. It just simply a vessel that said, God, if you can use me, then use me. I just want to be used. I'll do anything, even if it seems crazy. I just want to step into that purpose. See, we walk in all the other things, but when are we going to start walking in the kingdom things? See, it's time to start walking in joy, in peace, in love, in forgiveness, in freedom. This is what I believe God is asking his people to start walking in. Walking in two anointings. What are you talking about? An anointing that leads people out of captivity and an anointing that leads people into the promises. See, Joshua had been in Egypt and he had also been in the promise. And so what would happen if people, honestly, what would happen if people that walk into this church and they're bound and they're Lost and they're they're dying. All of a sudden, they walk into a service because people are walking in two anointings, and they get saved, and then they get filled, and then they get called, and then they step into purpose. What would happen if it didn't take years, but it began to take weeks and months? What would happen if all of a sudden you had to keep a water baptismal on the stage on a regular basis because so many people are getting saved every week that they have to get baptized? What would happen if Pastor Tony doesn't have to beg somebody to run the camera or, or do the sound? Or what would happen if, if ministry just starts, just, just organically start happening? What would happen if there's more leaders? Because out of the, the saved, out of the saved and the sanctified and the Holy Ghost field, God begins to raise up ministers who, who may feel like they're not called and not, may not feel like they're able to do much. God begins to say, wait a second, I got a plan. I got a purpose. I got a calling and I've got an anointing on you. It's time that we begin to step into purpose. See, we got to stand. We got to stand on the promises, but we also got to step into purpose. Number three is we got to sense the presence. Oh my goodness, we, 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 we forget this in, in, our, in our daily revivals. We forget this in our daily time. It's about getting through our devotions and not our devotions getting into us. 
I'm talking about since the presence in verse five, it says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. How can Joshua lead with confidence? How can, can he confront the battles that lie ahead? How can he? Because the same God that was with Moses is now with him, a God that will not forsake, a God that will not fail. Every place that the soles of your feet will touch will become your land. And everything that you step in to Joshua, God took that step with him. Today, if we are children of God, he has promised never to leave us or forsake us. He not only is with us, but he's in us. His presence is what changes everything. Okay, listen to this. You ever seen those cars that have the key that's really not a key at all? You don't put it in anything. You don't put it in the ignition. You don't put it in the door, right? Well, I rent cars all the time, and I took my son was probably about eight years old at the time, and I wanted to show him his really cool car, and I was like, hey, hey, Dathan, come here. I said, bro, check out this car. I said, all I want you to do is just walk up and touch the door. Just touch the door, and he touched the door, and it unlocked. And he's like, what did you do? And I'm like, nothing. He said, Dad, you pushed the buttons. I said, son, I didn't. I took the keys out of my pocket, and I put them on top of the car, And I said, touch the door again. He touched the door again. It locked. He said, mom's got some keys. I said, no, son. These are called keys of the presence. I said, you don't even have to have the keys on you. You just have to be around the one who has the keys. Remember what I told you? You have keys for where you live and dwell. Remember what we talked about last night? What Jesus has the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Jesus has the keys of the kingdom. Jesus has it. He said, whatever you lock on earth will be locked in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. See, we don't have to have. Can you imagine carrying every key to every sickness to every stronghold to every person's life that that's a big keychain but thank god i ain't got to carry it i just have to be in the middle of him i just have to be in his presence and he has to be around me and then all of a sudden there's not a lock that he does not have a key to open there's not a sickness that he doesn't have the key to open there's not a light see that means while in the middle of a walmart checkout stand god has the key for that place right there he for for the 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 produce he has the key for the people that are in that one he at your workplace at your family in your home he's got the keys all we have to do is get in him Let me just ask you a question. What's the Great Commission? Anybody know? What's the Great Commission? What's that? What's that? Matthew 28. How's it it quote? Okay, go ahead and stop there. What's it say? How's it start again? Go. I'm not going to correct you, woman of God, but we've been taught that. No, 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 no. Don't take this offense. I'm going to teach you some new revelation. This is the problem. We quote one verse when it's actually two. The Great Commission is not about a go. But that's what we have bent it on. We built church on it. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. No, 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 no. He didn't say, hey, go. He said, get ready. 
See, we're so busy in going, we're so busy in doing that we forget the promises of God that are wrapped up in the Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? It says this, all kingdoms and all authority has been given unto me. Therefore, go into all the world. And as you go, I'm going with you. See, we quote, go into all the world, but we don't quote that he's got all the kingdom, he's got all the power, he's got all the authority, and he's going with us. That's like the man with the most amount of money taking you to Burger King and saying, hey, listen, what do you want? Or taking you to a restaurant and say, what do you want to eat? Say, hey, let's go to McDonald's and order off the, off the dollar menu and you'll buy. That's what we keep on trying to do. God's saying, why are you limiting me? I'm not asking for you to pay the price. I'm not asking for you. I'm saying, listen, if we go, I've got the bill, I've got the power, and I'm with you in, your pre in the presence. So the problem is, is we leave out the power and we leave out the presence. And so therefore, what happens? We just do a lot of going. We don't do a whole lot of changing. And you know what happens when you do a lot of going, church? You get tired. You get so worn out. You know why? Because you're still carrying the burden. You still got the yoke. And it ain't his yoke. You got a yoke of ministry. You got a yoke of performance. You got a yoke of this. You got a yoke of that. And God's saying, listen, I told you I'd carry it. And I would let you carry what's on me. What's on me? Weariness? Anxiety? Nope. How about some peace? How about some joy? How about some love? How about some purpose? But we keep on taking the presence out of, of what we're doing. And then it just becomes performance. Watch this in Exodus 33 verses 7 through 11. It says, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside of the camp and some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. When was the last time you stepped into a meeting with God? Anyone inquiring of the Lord. Watch this. Anyone. Not just Moses. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And, and, and whenever Moses went into the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance with their, of, their, of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillars of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they, would st they, they all stood and worshiped. Can I tell you something? What would happen if a pillar of cloud, I'm talking a cloud of smoke, a pillar of fire would come upon this church? I guarantee some people around in these neighborhoods would begin to stand up and go, wait a second, we need to worship God. But this is no longer, I'm not talking about this church. We've turned the church into a meeting with each other instead of a meeting with him. Okay, here's why. You ready? Do you know that the altar is the most talked about place in the church, but the least visited one? You know that prayer is the most talked about subject, but the, last, the, the least practiced one? The average altar call in America on a Sunday morning for churches that still do altar calls lasts less than 10 minutes. I've figured out 
if the altars only last about 10 minutes, because if you're not performed in the, if you're not, if you're not uh, entertained in the altar, then you just leave the altar. It becomes a very shallow place. And so we have to create a bunch of things to entertain people instead of meeting with the presence of God. But watch this, watch this, watch this. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to be challenging. It says this, and the people would stood, stand and worship each at the entrance of their tent. That means that when, when what God's doing in here, when his people begin to meet, it begins to awaken people at their houses. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one who speaks with a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, son of Nun, watch this, would not leave the tent. You know why God chose Joshua? Because God knew Joshua. You know why God chose Joshua? Because Joshua was there. We always say, God, use me. God, use me. God, use me. And he's like, I was in a church, Pastor Tony, and I was preaching. God was showing up. I'm telling you, it was fire in the altars on Sunday on a Sunday morning. I mean, God was just moving, people crying out. And I mean, I'm just praying in the altar. And it was like just somebody snapped their fingers. And I'm telling you, the whole atmosphere changed. It went from people crying out and on their knees and they're just praising and going after God. All of a sudden, it stopped. People started talking. They started walking out. And I was like confused. I'm still praying for people. I'm like, what happened? And I heard people saying, God, pour out your spirit. God, send your fire. God, rain on us. God, do it again. I heard it, just everything. And all of a sudden, it stopped, and people left. And we had a service that night, and the pastor goes, hey, listen, Jamie, let's go get something to eat. I know you're hungry. And I'm like, I'm starving. And I'm putting on my suit coat, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, stay. And I'm like, I'm hungry. And he's like, I want you to stay. And I told the pastor, I said, hey, pastor, I said, listen, I'm not sure where you're going. I may have to stop for a second. I said, but God just told me he needs me to stay here. And he was like, oh, no worries. We're just going to the Mexican food place across the way. I said, all right. And he walked out. And as soon as that door hit, I sat my coat down and I laid on my face and the presence of God hit me, Pastor Tony. I mean, it was probably one of the most incredible senses of his glory. The kabod, the heaviness of God's glory came down. Pow! Just started trembling and weeping. I'm not one that says God gives me a lot of visions, but he gave me a vision. And here was the vision that he gave me. There was this massive church, and around this church there were, I'm talking thousands and tens of thousands of people that were looking through every window and every door they were looking, and I could hear them. It was almost like I was outside this church, and, and I could hear them saying, do you see anything on the inside? Is there anything on the inside that can help us? Do you see anything of hope? Do you see anything of life? Do you see anything? We need this. Can you see anything? And I could see everybody that was pressed up against the walls and the windows. They were saying the same thing. We can't see anything. Something's blocking our view. And I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm inside, 
And there was a prayer meeting going on. I'm talking a prayer meeting, crying out to heaven. And there was a few dozen people at this prayer meeting. But at every window and every door were people of that church that were looking out the windows. And the same question was being asked, is there anything better out there than what we have in here? And the Lord spoke to me instantly and he says, my people have been blocking the view of the world from seeing what's available in here because they're too busy looking for something else out there. They've forgotten why they came in in the first place. I just began to weep. It felt, honestly, it felt as if it was just a couple of minutes. All of a sudden I heard a sound in the back and it was the pastor. But I didn't know it was a pastor. And the pastor was eating and the Lord spoke to him to get back to the church. He walked into the church, opened the door, fell out under the power of God, literally stuck between the door, couldn't even shut because he was halfway in and halfway out. And the Lord spoke to him, you told, you told me when you were a kid that you wanted to be one that opened up the doors for people to come in. He said, the problem is you've not kept the door open. And this pastor began to weep. Hours and hours went by. People started coming back 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We were there until 2 o'clock in the morning. Nobody preached. Nobody led worship. But over 1,000 people had come back throughout that afternoon, throughout the night, in the middle of the night to come back and begin to repent. Can I tell you, God's still moving in that church to this day. Not because of Jamie, but because I recognized the desperate need. The Lord spoke to me that day and he said, they begged me to come. But when I came, when the bridegroom showed up on his watch, not on their clock, they were not here. They left the groom at the altar. See, I've got to close this down. You've got to sense the presence. We cannot afford to get this part wrong. This is what changes everything. No presence, no promise. Our promise is him. Not what he can give us, not what he can, what he can do, not where we are, but it's him. If Egypt just, see, if, if it's not about him and it's not about his presence, if not, Egypt just gets a new address. Our slave master gets a new name from Pharaoh to Jehovah, serving God then becomes our bondage, not our freedom, our burden, not our blessing, our business, not our pleasure, our chains, not our key, our duty, not our privilege. See, we can do everything we are asked to do, but if God's presence isn't with us, it's all in vain. Deuteronomy 4, 7 says, God is with us whenever we pray. See, we got to, we have to sense his presence. But the fourth one is this, we got to stay on the path. Verse seven says, do not turn to, from the right to the left. That is what is needed in order to have a have successful life wherever you go. If Joshua is to be strong and courageous, he must stay the course. He must not turn. He must not compromise. He must not get distracted. He must not get discouraged and lose sight of what God's will is for his life. See, we must stay on the path set before us. Faithfulness is key. Remember, detours happen. But it does not change the destination. Keep going. Sometimes we're going to get tired of the grind. Feel like giving up. Feel like giving in. But we must stay the course until the end. God blesses faithfulness. Compromise leads to chaos. Distraction often leads to destruction. But faithfulness leads to fulfillment. We need to stay on the path. And the fifth one is this. We need to start the process. Verse 
We need to start the process. We need to stand on the promises. We need to step into purpose. We need to sense the presence. We need to stay on the path. But the fifth one is we need to start the process. You need to go in and take possession of the land that God is giving you. Worship team, if I can get you to come on up. We got to step in and take possession of the promises that God's given us. My bride and I started this thing in our office at home for our businesses and for our ministry. It's called the Asked Board. The Asked Board. It's A-S-K and the and sign D. Asked. And here's what it stands for. Ask, seek, knock, and do. There's some things that I'm asking for, things that I'm, th- I'm seeking, things that I'm knocking on the door for. But then there's some things that I've already asked for, I've already sought, I've already knocked on, and God's given it to me, but I haven't done everything that he's told me to do. You need to remember that your relationship with God is a partnership, not an ownership. See, what God has told Joshua What God had told Joshua would have been no good if he would not have begun to assimilate the plan. In this verse, Joshua begins the process. The transfer of leadership has taken place. Joshua believes what God has said and he begins to demonstrate it. He begins his journey of bravery and courage. It is not enough to simply to know the word of God, to sense the presence, but we must put into action what God tells us to do. Joshua now begins that process. He takes action. He begins the task of moving forward. Joshua chapter 3 verses 13. Watch this. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of your feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off and the waters that come down from upstream shall stand as a heap. The promise was not activated until their feet stepped out of the familiar into the uncharted. Their feet, the promise would not have been fulfilled until their feet got wet. Notice the water did not stop running until their feet got wet. See, everybody wants, everybody wants to walk on water but not get wet. They want to see the dead raised but not die themselves. They want, to, they want to stand in the fire but not get burned. They want to suddenly, but they don't want to go through the beatings to get it. See, there were 12 men in that boat called disciples, believers. But when they saw Jesus passing by, and you need to read this verse again very carefully. It says, and Jesus intended to pass them by. He won't walk by them. I wonder how many churches God is intending to walk by. I wonder how many lives, how many ministry, how many services God is intending to walk by. Does it say that he didn't love the disciples? 
It says, and Jesus intended to pass them by. You know why? Because Jesus was going somewhere. But out of the boat came a voice. Jesus, if it's you, call me unto you. Jesus will pass us by if we let him. But I don't know about you. I'm not letting him pass me by, Jay. I'm not letting him pass me by. I'm not missing this opportunity. I've been living my whole life for a move of God to break out and I'll give up everything, but I'm not letting him pass me by. Jesus, if it's you, then tell me to come. And Jesus said, Peter, come. And Peter didn't think twice. It wasn't delayed. He stepped out of that boat. You know why? Because there were some promises on his life. He may have been imperfect. He may have been messed up. He may have needed some work done, but he was at least obedient and he stepped out of that boat and all of a sudden he realized what he was doing, right? You ever just realize what you're doing and this is really crazy and it takes your eyes off of God for a moment. In the midst of miracles, in the midst of revival, we can take our eyes off of God. It can become about the music. It can become about the ambiance. It can become about the crowds took his eyes off of Jesus for a moment then he began to sink Jesus will let you sink and all of a sudden he said Jesus save me and Jesus grabbed him he put him into the boat right brings him in the boat and Jesus says something do you know that every other disciple up to that point he had told had no faith but now Peter he actually is the first disciple and the only disciple according to the scriptures that was ever told he had any faith he just said hey you have a little faith I would rather have little faith, right? You know what I'm talking about? I would rather be a wet water walker than a dry boat talker. There's some promises on your life, my friend. And I would rather be knee deep and afraid and terrified. Disappointed, discouraged, and frustrated. But then dry in a boat talking about all the things that God can do but never going to see them because I'm not taking any steps of faith to do it. He's calling you out of some places. But he's calling you into some things. And that goes for two of you. Don't forget the Promises for a grandboy. You know what I'm talking about? We prayed, we agreed. Promises. Promises. I want you to close your eyes all over this place. If you got some promises in your life, I want you just to begin to raise your hands. You know you got some promises. You may not know exactly what they are, but you know you got some promises in your life. You got some promises for your family. You got some promises that God's whispered to you. I got 
some promises. I got some promises. I got some promises. I, I got some promises. I got some promises. See, some anointings can do the work for you, but other anointings teach you how to walk in that anointing yourself. Church, it's time to get ready to go and get the promises. Ever ask yourself the question, we may just be a few steps away from the promises of God. Anybody getting tired of being denied the promises? Until now, the heavens suffer violence and the violent taketh it by force. We're not trying to rip God off. We're not trying to take something that's not ours. I want you to picture those promises that God gave you for you, for your home, for your family, for your marriage, for your finances. I want you to picture them. I want you to picture them on the ground in front of you. What's God promised you? That healing, that deliverance, that prodigal son or daughter to come home? Picture it, picture it, picture it. First thing you have to do is you have to begin to stand on that promise. If you're ready to start seeing those promises come to pass, if you're ready to start receiving those promises, I want you to stand to your feet all over this place. I want you to stand on those promises that are in front of you. After you've done everything to stand, you need to stand firm. When it doesn't feel like it's going to happen, God, you said. God, I know you've never lied. I know you've never betrayed me. I know you've never deceived me. You are not man that you should lie. You're not going to start lying. And God, you said it, so it will be done. You never said it was going to be easy, but you said it would happen. Standing on these promises. I'm standing, I'm standing, I'm standing, I'm standing, I'm standing.
So many times we've made service about everything else but you. God, I found out when you walk in a room, Lord, you don't need somebody to announce your arrival. Lord, I believe that people can begin to sense your presence. They begin to sense he's here. He's here. My Jesus is here. My Jesus is here. And I found out when you sense that Jesus is here and you're standing on the promise, the next move is you got to step. You got to step into. You got to step out of. You got to begin to walk. A walk always begins with the first step. In order to walk in the things of God, you first have to step into the things of God. So when you begin to sense God, here's the altar call. When you begin to sense God, I'm going to ask you to begin to step towards this altar. And as you begin to step towards this altar, I want you to begin to stand on those promises in these altars as you sense the presence of God. I want you to be, don't worry about somebody, you're probably going to have somebody come pray for you, but don't worry about somebody come praying for you because this isn't about man laying his hand on you. If you're really, 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 really going to stand on the promises of God, God just probably going to come and lay his own hand on your head. And he's going to begin to douse you with the presence of God and he's going to begin to saturate you with the spirit of God. I said,